Hello, I'm Jim Norton from Finian's Rainbow. Now, we'd all like to make our fortune by finding pots of gold hidden away by leprechauns, but we have to face the fact that it's a very rare occurrence indeed. And that's why, as a not-for-profit organization, the American Theatre Wing needs your support so that it can continue to offer downstage center, working in the theatre, in the wings, and all other media work for free for theatre work. That's why, as a non-profit organization, the American Theatre Wing needs your support so that it can continue to offer downstage center, working in the theatre, in the wings, and all of their other media work for free for theatre lovers everywhere. If you're able to help the Wing with a gift this season, just visit americantheaterwing.org and click on Support ATW. You needn't spend your gold. A credit card will suffice. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, many thanks. And now let's listen to this week's Downstage Center. He's now on stage deep underground at the Roundabout Theatre's Steinberg Center in the musical Ordinary Days, but he's been in more elevated roles on Broadway in Urinetown, Footloose, and Little Shop of Horrors, and Off-Broadway in Modern Orthodox, Dust, and Happiness. He's also a writer, and his own musicals include Summer of 42 and Bonnie and Clyde, A Folktale. Welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Downstage Center. I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing, and I'm happy to meet and introduce you all to Hunter Foster. Hi, Hunter. Hi. So, Ordinary Days is a full musical, small cast, in a theatre that seats fewer people than probably rooms you've done backers auditions in. Uh, the 60 or 62 seats of the roundabouts underground black box. What is it like performing a musical in that intimate a surrounding with no barrier between you and the audience? Well, you know, it's it's definitely new to me. I mean, because I, I can't imagine – I can't even think of a time when I performed in something this small. I mean, even in college, you know, we were performing in big theaters and even our black box in college is, is, was twice the size of this black box. Um I mean, it's great. It kind of, uh, I always say shows are always at their best when they're in the rehearsal room right before they move from the rehearsal room to to a Broadway theater because um, the intimacy of, of the space, the intimacy of the, of the rehearsal room. And, and I've seen shows, you know, in rehearsal, rehearsal spaces where um, – and I just and I'm like, oh my god! Like I saw I saw Drowsy Chaperone, the, you know, for their Gypsy Run in the rehearsal room, and Thoroughly Modern Millie because my sister was in them. And there's something really special about that rehearsal room, and I, that's what I think this is. You know, it's it's you can see the actors' faces, you can hear um, them. Un, I mean, we don't have microphones, so it's unamplified, and um, it's you really get a connection with the actors. We we like to refer to the audience as like the uh, there's four of us in the cast, but we kind of refer to the audience as the fifth character in the play because um, you know we address them, and you know we're two feet away from them, and I and they, it's a really it's really special because I don't I don't think there's anything else in New York where you really get to see people um, up close like that. Um, and for us to have a connection with the with the audience members, I mean, we can see literally every audience member in the place, which can have its pluses and minuses yes. at times. Yes. But we should we should explain. Ordinary Days is about four young people in New York. Uh, you are half of a couple, yes, um, deciding whether or not to move in together. So, in a sense, the audience that present. Is the rest of New York because part of part of what the show is about is how do you function in the city? Right, it's true. 
Can you tell me about when you first became involved in this project? When did it come across uh, your horizon? Well, um, I Adam Guan, who's the composer and uh, lyricist and book writer of, of the show, um, we, the two of us were doing a workshop uh, of two different shows, one that I, I wrote and one that he wrote. We were both commissioned to write um, shows down um, at the Signature Theater in Virginia. And uh, I was the book writer for a show called uh, Based on Sleepy Hollow, and he was doing um, a show based on um, uh, The Boy Detective Fails, uh, which is a children's book. And uh, Eric Schaefer, who's the artistic director at The Signature, ha- um, had commissioned both works, and we were both rehearsing at the same time, and we both presented them after a three, three-week workshop. And um, I met Adam th- through that. Through that, And uh, there was one night where there were a bunch of composers that had been um, commissioned um, did all their work. We did stuff from Sleepy Hollow, and Adam did his stuff from Ordinary Days and from um, uh, Boy Detective Fails, and I heard – three songs from ordinary days and i was like oh my god i I was so blown away by by the music uh i went up to him afterwards and i said what is this show and he says you know it's a show we're doing in new york in the fall roundabout i'm like wow and i and and secretly i wanted to say i want to be in it and but i was like well if he wants me to be in it he'll ask me So yeah. did he? Well, I mean, uh, there was already a cast in place. Um, there was someone who's playing my part, and um, he, due to scheduling conflicts, had to drop out. And so Adam, you know, called me and wanted to know and saw, asked me if I was available. And I was like, sure. I, I you know, I jumped at the chance because I just, I, I haven't heard music um, from a young composer like that. It was so exciting, and the lyrics were so good in such a long time, and I was just so impressed by him, and and I definitely wanted to be a part of it after that. And it's a show which, for the most part, is a lot of solo songs, mm-hmm. a few duets, and then just a bit of choral work. So you're, I think it mirrors the fact that these people are all in some way on their own in New York. Um the opportunity to create a character completely through song because there is no – there's really no book scenes to speak of in the show. It's it's almost entirely sung. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how it was to develop a character totally through song. Well, you know, I have to say uh, Adam's lyrics are really – and I'm not just – you know, I sound like I'm touting my own show but – you know his lyrics. You would are, not be the first to do that. <laughs> you know, and I've I've done a lot of. You know, I felt I've been in this business for a long time, and I've done worked on a lot of shows and worked on um, uh, a lot of readings and new shows and workshops and and you know it's he's he's very special because his lyrics are very actable and they tell a story and. Um, it, so in a, in a sense, the lyrics are almost like dialogue. I mean, there, it's not. I mean, you know, there are some songs that you can, you get a hold of, and and they're just songs and words that are. I, I want to say empty. Uh, that's not the word I, I mean, but it's but the so much of what he's writing is is infused with the character, with the story. You know, he's telling a story through every lyric. He's explaining the character through every lyric. So uh, you, you you just um, you you gained a lot about your own character and the story you were telling by because his lyrics are so strong. So uh, whereas uh, you know a, a generic song. Um, wouldn't I don't think would uh, you know what I mean by 
yeah, a generic song meaning a song that would just that could be that's non-specific, that's just general. You know, I love you, or things that are not specific to character, not specific to story. I guess is what I'm saying. Um, are are not if we were if, if there was a bunch of those kind of songs, I, I think that would be more difficult. But because every every lyric was infused with with the character and telling the story, you know, it was very easy for us to kind of um, discover this show through the lyrics because his lyrics are so good. We've already mentioned several times that you also write shows and indeed you first became aware of Ordinary Days because it was being developed at the same time as one of your works. Do you think you're more critical of works now when you when you are approached about new work because you are writing your own? Um, I definitely – I don't want to be because I try – and it's, it's hard and you know, I, get, I, I get asked this question a lot you know, and, and – I, I mean, there's there's two things. I mean, I think I've been in this business, like I said before. When you've done enough shows, you you know when things are good and you know when things are bad. You know when things work and when they don't, just from my acting experience. But you know, when you've tried to dissect shows and you've tried to figure out how your own shows work and 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 uh, putting the pieces together and making something work, especially in a workshop setting like we did this summer for three weeks, and and you know, you're you're taking apart the mechanics of how a musical works and functions. I mean, it's it's hard not to, uh, not to, not to, not be critical, but just to to look at things and say, oh well, I, I see what they're doing, or I don't understand why they're doing that. And I try not to be because I want to separate that. I, I want to approach things as an actor, approach things as a writer, and have them uh, be separate. But it's it's hard it's hard not to, I think. But I mean, I, you know, I've been wrong on both parts. I mean, there's shows that I've. I've thought were the worst things that I'd ever read, and you know, two years later they're on Broadway, or you know, things that I thought were amazing, and they get trounced by the critics. So hmm. I've, I, I, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to know. I mean, I think I think we've all had that experience, but um, yeah, but I try not to act like a writer around them. I mean, if they ask my opinion or if I have a problem with the character, I try to say, well, may, maybe we should do this, try this, but I try try to separate them as much as I can. Coming back to the intimacy of both the show, Ordinary Days, and the space in which you're doing it, you, you made the comment that the audience is the fifth character. Does the show vary from audience to audience? I mean, musicals on a certain level, you've got to keep a pace. You've got to, you've got to go there. But do you find the audience has an impact? Uh, I do. You know, we talk about this all the time. Um, because it's so intimate uh, – I mean, and, and you know, and not just an intimacy. I mean, certain shows have an effect on uh, a performance or how a show performs. I mean, when I was in pr- the producers, we were definitely because producers was so presentational and so um, and re- relied so much on the audience that if an audience was bad, I really felt like the show just was harder to do. And when they were with you, it just was like you're, you know. Soaring, um, and I feel like it's this kind of same kind of thing with this because they're, I mean, in a different way. But you know, they're they're intimate, they're there, and when they're emotionally connected to what's going on, and they're laughing, and they're, and you look at and you look at them because we kind of we we have to look at them because we're addressing them, and when they're focused and and listening, that helps for a better show for on our part. But when you know when they're distracted or. <laughs> <laughs> or not laughing, or or, or not asleep, or, or asleep. God forbid. But if someone's asleep at St. James, you know, I can't, I can't see them. But if someone's asleep, you know, at the at our theater, you know, I, I know exactly where they are, and so it's, yeah. Let's jump back to how you got into the business, and we'll come back to ordinary days later on. 
you started performing pretty young. You were born in North Carolina but grew up primarily in Georgia? Yeah, mostly in Georgia. So doing all the high school shows, was that the – yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I'd say the arts isn't huge in the state of Georgia. <laughs> I think it's distant. You know, it's way down past football and uh, uh, baseball and basketball sports. So obviously, was the, was was very big in high school more than in farming. And uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, the arts was not a uh, was not high on the list of of things in my high school. But you know, um, it's something I. I, wa- I wanted to be an actor. Um, it wasn't musicals; it was movies. I was I was a big movie buff when I was a kid. I just saw everything and and, and wanted to be in movies and and uh, and started taking acting classes when I was thirteen, fourteen hmm. at the rec department. And they and they had a play and they were doing a play and I'm like, what's a play? I had no idea what a play was. I didn't have no idea. I mean, it was very much in the dark about stuff like that. And they're doing you're good, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. And I was like, "Oh, and how do I get into this?" And they like, "We well, have to audition." I'm like, "I knew nothing." And and uh, audition got the part of Linus, but it was. I mean, we didn't. I didn't know what a musical was. I never heard of what heard of a musical. Uh, Sound of Music, I think, in, in the Wizard of Oz, was the only thing I'd ever heard of. Huh. And um, I didn't know I could sing. And and I think I sang "Deck the Halls" or something, and got the part. And then I had to learn to sing and dance and, and for this thing when I was 14 years old and I was kind of – and I realized, oh my god, this is a lot of fun. And that's kind of how it started and, and then I started uh, uh, doing stuff at high, in, at high school, you know, hmm. Birdie and Grease and all the normal staples of high, you know, high school musicals. Hmm. So when you got out of high school, did you go to college looking to develop a career in theater or was this just something that had been fun and now you were going to move on? Well, you know, I didn't quite know what, what I wanted to do. You know, I, um, my parents, my father got got transferred to Michigan right after I graduated high school, and um, you know, me and my sister had had done uh, you know community theater, and and she was still young at the time because um, um, she hadn't gone to high school yet. But I'd done all, all the high school shows, all the community theater shows, and and I and but you know, you, no one's people are like, oh, well, that's fun, but now you got to go. Figure out what you re- you're really going to do with your life, and so I I, I remember my father, uh, my family had to move to Michigan because my father worked for General Motors, and we went had to go to Detroit, and so I had to leave all my friends and family family behind in Georgia, and we moved to Michigan, and they had a professional theater there, and I was either going to go to college, or I was going to, but I got this job at at a professional theater that paid me like four hundred dollars a week. What's the theater? It was called. Uh, I can't remember. It was in Northville, Michigan. Mm-hmm. The Marquee Theater in Northville, Michigan is what okay. it was called. And so I remember I had to make a decision. I was either going to go to college in Georgia or I was going to go work at this theater. And I and it was like a big decision in my life because I went to college. I was going to go for something else. And I thought, well, you know, I've never gotten paid to do something that I love to do. Why don't I just take a semester and work and do this show? And then I did the show and then I got another show. The what kind, are the shows? Tell, tell, uh, it was, what you it was Sound of Music, I think, and then Peter Pan was next, and then um, and so then I, I kept putting college off because I kept getting all these shows. I would, it was, I think it was Sound of Music, Peter Pan, and then like a Winnie the Pooh, and you know, it was a lot. Of, it was for children. It was a lot of stuff for children, and uh, I think we did Joseph, and I think we did Greece, and and I kept getting a salary, so I was actually making money, and so I kept putting college off. Hmm. And then I was uh, – Detroit was uh, – I, I got an agent there and we started doing like industrial work, uh, commercial work and, 
And so that, that kind of snowballed. And I'm, I was thinking I can actually make a living doing this. But I always wanted to go to college. So after the two years were up, um, I could have kept on working because um, I was working pretty pretty steadily in, in Detroit. Um, I decided to go to the University of Michigan and uh, to go for musical theater. An excellent musical theater program yes. out there. Yeah. yeah. So after doing all of this work with – Apparently, if I follow correctly, only the training from the rec department acting program. <laughs> um, what was it like to get into a program after you'd already been working and, and go into a program that was really about teaching you to do what you'd already been doing? I, it was difficult actually because I feel like you know, I'd already been making money and, and doing, doing quite well and – and to actually kind of start over, and they're like, "Well, everything you've been doing is wrong, and start over again." And you know, <laughs> and uh, it was it was hard. And I think after my first year at school, I was ready to qu- quit and move, move to uh, New York. I was just I, but I'm glad. But then I was like, "No, I wanted to to get a degree. I wanted to finish college. I wanted to." And I so I stuck it out and finished and got my degree. And and I'm so glad I did because I felt like it really prepared me uh, for for New York. Um, hmm. I think if I had left and gone. I, I don't think I would have the the, the the true background and knowledge of, you know, not just auditioning, but just like musical theater history and not in musical theater and theater because we took it was, it was theater wasn't just like Rodgers and Hammerstein twenty four hours a day. It was you know we did Shakespeare and we did Chekhov and we did other things as well. O'Neill, um, and I think just the knowledge of all that of just the history of of theater in itself was so beneficial and helpful, and. Um, and really, just learning from the other students and learning from the experiences of the teachers, and and um, and I, I, only now might do I fully realize how crucial and beneficial that program was. Because hmm. you weren't one of those kids who'd grown up collecting cast albums. No, apparently. I didn't know anything. I knew, and and I learned all that in, at college. I knew, now, and I understood, and I and I think it really helps me even in my writing. I mean, I think the the knowledge I have, uh, you know, a friend of mine, uh, Josh Rhodes, he's a up and coming choreographer, and he went to we went to Michigan at the same time, and you know we talk about it all the time. We still like we were working on something together, and we both looked at each other and we, we were talking about fixing something in the show, and and we both looked at each other and said that's exactly what we were taught, like something that we something they would have said in a class that we still remember, that we still utilize, and I still use in in, in even in my writing, hmm. is that um, it, I still remember with the things that were told to me in college, how musicals work. Um, so, like, I, I, I've realized, you know, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary there, you know, the uh, the program, University mm-hmm. of Michigan, and and uh, and I, yeah, it's I realized how how important it was, the mm. school. Yeah. So when you finished college, mm. did you then pack your bags and move right to New York? Um, I took one more. I took like I think six months just to, and I worked as much as I could to to make enough money, and I moved in January of '93. So. Uh, I um, yeah, I that was I moved. I I, I planned that I was going to work as much as possible to have enough savings to have enough that I didn't have to get a job when I first got here. That I could just come here and and just audition, and that's what I did. So, what was the first break? Um. Well, I remember there was two things happened at once. I mean, I. Uh, I auditioned for Les Mis, I think for like a chorus call or something like that, and they called me back for Cats, and I was like, well, Cats? I said, I've, I don't dance like – I'd never in a million years thought I'd be up for Cats, and I was temping at some office building, I think in, in, in Midtown, and 
And uh, they called me to audition for it. And I was like, all right. And so I went across the street to the Winter Garden and, you know, auditioned for it. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to get it. And uh, Had you seen it at this point? Did you know yeah, it? Yes, so I had oh, okay. seen it. I had seen it. And um, and sure enough, like a couple days later, I'm temping in the office and I got a, a voicemail. I didn't have an agent or anything. And my voice, voicemail is like, uh, we, we want to get offer you the part. It's for the road, going on a national tour. And I was like, what? I never even that, – that was so far off my radar as far as getting a show. And uh, that was – and I and I was all – and I was like, oh, my God. So I get this part and I'm prepared to go on the road. And then I got a call from um, uh, this woman who I was sort of working with as an agent. She wanted me to go in for the uh, revival of Greece. And, I, and I'm like, well, I'm going on the road with cats. And she's like – this is a Broadway show. You should really go in for it. So I went in for that, for the Tommy Tune um, Grease, and um, I got that. <laughs> and so I got two things right off the bat, and I had to make a decision because at the time, the, the six months that they wanted to sign me for Cats was going to overlap with the beginning of this Grease thing. And um, someone gave me some good advice and said, go out on the road. We won't tell them about Grease, and then when Grease happens, we'll break the contract. and go." To, and that's kind of what we did. Huh. Yeah. So so I never really ask people about this. Um, what was life on the road like for a, a young actor getting his first break and being out, out there doing Cats, presumably in different towns every week? You weren't doing a sit-down production. No, no, no. It was the fourth national tour of Cats. So it was – I think my first stop was Kitchener, Ontario. <laughs> which, <I> mean, <laughs> ah, the exotic life uh, of yes. an actor. Yeah. I mean it was a split week I think between Kitchener and Hamilton in Canada. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 I remember, uh, the company manager told me I had to, I couldn't, I wish I could remember exactly what he said. Coming to Canada, I couldn't tell the agent when I was coming into the country that I was going to work for cats. I had to lie and say I was going to visit some family. Okay. And I remember lying to the, scared to death, getting off the plane and, and you know, talking to the, to the, agent before I came into the across the border and and she was like saying so why are you here and I'm like I'm going to see my aunt or or and she goes where's your aunt live I'm like I don't know <laughs> like it was just it was terrible it was a terrible terrible lie and I knew she knew I was lying and I don't know why it's to this day I don't know why I couldn't just say I was going to join the company of cats and uh yeah it was it was I mean I think going on the road was scary you know I didn't know anyone I'd never done a, a job this big before I definitely made mistakes I definitely um you know, did things I wasn't supposed to do. I, I uh, ad libbed. I mean, I, we were in. We played Memphis, and I ad libbed uh, after my. I was Rum Tum Tugger, and after the song, I ad libbed uh, like a Elvis. You know, thank you very much. After, and I got in so much trouble. <laughs> I mean, they they really did not like me. On, I mean, they they. I was always being called. I was just it was just green and just caused caused some chaos. Hmm. Yeah. And nobody took you under their wing and said, "Son, this is this is how yeah, you do well, it." Yeah, I mean, they did. I mean, there was a couple of times that they just the the production supervisor came out and and you know said, "You got to shape up or you're gone." Even, but you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, "I'm gone anyway." Cause I'm gonna- <laughs> 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 you just had to hang in there yeah. until Tommy Tune called. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, so you didn't finish even the six months. You did leave early, and yeah, and I only left off. a month early. I mean, mm-hmm. initially they weren't going to let me out, and then I, you know, I, I we finally worked it out, and, right. and I, and I, I, you know, I, I don't, I, yeah, they, they finally worked it out that right. they, they let me go. So, so Greece. Now you've already mentioned Greece 
I think twice in the 15 minutes we've been talking. I think you mentioned it for high school. I think you mentioned it in college. So um, who would you play previously and then who did you get to play for, for this new production? Uh, well, I, had, I, was, uh, I was Danny in high school, Danny Zuko. And then the professional – I did a professional oh, thing right. yeah, okay. before I went to college. And I was Johnny Casino. <laughs> but I was getting paid, so I didn't even care that I was Johnny Casino. And then uh, I was Roger in the uh, Broadway revival. Mm-hmm. So, I'd, yeah, it was my third production of Grease. So, yeah. but, but obviously uh, you knew the material when, yes, you, yeah, when you'd yeah, gone in, yeah, yeah. in to do that. Um, you say that you know, there were a lot of things you didn't know when you were on the tour of Cats. Certainly when you go to work with somebody like Tommy Toon, there's got to be – some things you learn. I'm just curious what the experience was working with him. Um, well, it was Je- it was Jeff Jeff Calhoun directed and choreographed, and Tommy Toon was the kind of over oversaw the whole production. Uh, right, but of I mean, course. he was. I mean, he was. We definitely did work with Tommy, and, and Tommy was there, and um, you know, it was an amazing cast. It was you know Billy Porter and Sam Harris and Megan Mullally and Rosie O'Donnell and uh, Jessica Stone. A, a lot of people who've gone on to. Uh, do a lot of things, you know, and and it was it was a. Uh, I, I knew that from my experience from Cats that I needed to shape up for this is a Broadway show, so I was really on my best behavior, and uh, you know, and there were some veterans, you know, guys who'd been around. Uh, Jason Opsall, who's no longer he passed away about five years ago. He played Kanicki and uh, Carlos Lopez. He played Sonny, and um, just a, a lot of people that had been around. So it, you know, I kind of learned how the the Broadway gig works, you know, from them. I mean, you just kind of listen and learn and and don't try to, I was and try not to be oh I know bet I know better and it's like no, you listen and 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 they'll teach you. So I think um and I I you know and Jerry, you know, Jerry Mitchell was the associate choreographer and I remember learning a lot from Jerry. I mean, Jerry was 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 dealt with us a lot and he was you know would instill and in, in, I mean I remember a speech he gave us one time and he said uh, we were in Wilmington Delaware and, and we were teching the show there and he said you know um, you do the show for the last person in the, in the in the in the last seat at the back of the house so you do it for them hmm. you know I mean you do it for the whole but to make sure it's for them because they're it, it's uh, it just, just I guess he was saying in terms of emotionally or in terms of the scale of the performance or I think I think. What he was saying is that everyone's important in, in, in this theater. It's not just it's not just the, the orchestra. It's not the balcony. It's the mezzanine. You know, it's it's. I think it's just opening up and just like embracing this the, 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 everyone in this audience. Hmm. I think that's what he was saying. Um, and I, I, and I always remember that. It's like, and I you know I think about that even today. It's just like. Well, not so much at the black <laughs> not box, at this very but, moment. You know, as I was thinking about it, you know that because I was you know I was I remember when I, the first some of the first shows I saw I was that last person up there and and I think it's just about opening up embracing everyone in the, in the audience. Hmm. How long did you stay with Greece? Uh, I was with Greece for a long time. I, I, I was there for three and a half years. Wow! I was there with every single, almost every single B name star that came through, and we, we had um, just I mean almost everyone. Since I'll, I'll only ask the positive, who was a lot of fun when they came through that production? Because we do know it. It there was there was a rotating cast of of celebrities yeah. passing through. Yeah, the most fun, most fun. 
Wow. I, Chubby Checker was quite an interesting man. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, he came, he was, yeah, Chubby Checker was fun. Uh, Sheena Easton was kind of, was kind of fun. John Cicada, I had a, I had a blast with John Cicada when he was hmm. there. Yeah. John Cicada would say the, the most fun. Again, and I don't mean to keep harping on how early in your career you had this opportunity, a three-and-a-half-year run is is great financially, certainly, to have a Broadway gig that early for that period of time. Did you stay in the same role the whole time? Did you have any opportunity to move around in the cast? Yeah, I, was, uh, I wasn't initially going in as, as an understudy at all. I was, just, I was just as cast, you know, and then I was like, I was like, well, I was kind of. Bo- I think I was like a year and a half. I was kind of bored. Well, that's that's where I was headed. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I I, I love the financial. St- the reason I stayed in the shows, I love the financial stability. I was not interested at the time of you know doing anything else. I was like, hey, I'm on a Broadway show. It's not going anywhere. I'm making money. I, this is great. I'm I'm happy. And uh, but I was I was getting a little bored and and asked if I could understudy Kaniki and Danny and and um, I you know. Understood them both, and then you know I started taking over for Danny between stars. Like there was a time when I think John Scott left, and someone else was coming in, so I kind of played the role for like two and a half months, hmm. uh, and I just kept doing that, and um, till the very end. So, but at least you got to change it up every so often because, yeah. again, relatively, you know, people actors with great experience will talk about it how. Tough sometimes it is to keep it fresh. But. Yeah, I mean it is. It is hard, and that was that was actually very helpful for me uh, to have something else I could do. Um, and I also I, I got to take a lot of leave leave of absences to do other things. So you know, um, which was which was very helpful. Uh, some of those other things, the King David, King which David, we've yeah. more more heard of than seen because it was just that that brief run at the New Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah. What was uh, what was going into that like? God, I guess I, I remember it was to you know work, got to work with Mike Ockrent, and I wanted to work with Alan Minken, and you know I was just an understudy at the time, but you know it was that theater was brand new and it was exciting to be in that theater and the, it was just a three and a half hour show, <laughs> <laughs> and you know we had a huge orchestra, I think a fifty piece orchestra, I mean it was really kind of exciting, you know unfortunately the show didn't really pan out to be what we thought it was going to be. I mean, we loved some of the music and the cast was great, but it just it just never really took off, you mm-hmm. know. But um you know it was it was a it was a good experience. I mean definitely to I mean I've definitely never been anything where I've had a fifty piece orchestra before. Hmm. You know? That well, was exciting. Very rare these days yeah, to perform a fifty piece orchestra. Yeah. And you did Children of Eden. Was that a break from uh, Greece, or did that actually was once you you left Greece? I was trying to I follow. Don't even this. Remember, um, it might have been a break. Yeah, it had to have been a break. Had to have been. Now that's a show. Again, often spoken of, has its absolute um, supporters. Um, you did it out at Paper Mill. Yeah. Um, can you tell a little bit about that show and, and doing that piece? Well, I mean, we got to work with Stephanie Mills, and she, and she was fantastic. And you know, it's it's I I love the score to that. I mean, I I, I saw Stephen Stephen Schwartz came to see Ordinary Days the other day, and I I was like, I just love that show, and and don't know 
why it isn't. I mean, it's. I mean, I, obviously, it's had a life outside the city, but it's never really had. It's never been on Broadway, and never. Um, uh, I mean, the closest to Broadway was our paper mill production. Right. Um, you know, I I, I love doing it. I mean, it was it was definitely a huge when Paper Mill was doing these giant shows out there, which they don't do much anymore. Um, but it's just a it's a beautiful score, and it was a great cast. It was Adrian Smed and Kelly Rabke and Darius DeHaas and. Uh, you know, and they had big plans. I mean, I we did we did a cast recording, double CD cast recording, which I played the xylophone on. <laughs> I know, I know, I played the xylophone in the show. Uh, like five of us played the xylophone and uh, these little toy xylophones. And then, of course, when they were doing the recording, they're like, "Well, can you play the xylophone for the recording?" I'm like, "Sure." And so I actually signed a. Did you have to uh, join the union? Well, I didn't join the union, <laughs> but I had to sign. You know, I got paid as a musician and got paid as a uh, performer, which was kind of <laughs> exciting. But I love that it's on CD because I just think the scores beautiful so so fans though listen for that xylophone that's me it's you as well um footloose yes came up uh came up next how was how was the experience of of translating that show onto the stage i mean you know well-known movie certainly probably the start of the more recent trend of of moving things from the screen to the stage yeah i mean footloose you know um, I look back at Footloose. It, you know, we didn't get a good response. Obviously, I don't think that we got. But looking back, you know, it's it. It it's actually was actually better than I thought. In hmm. looking back at it, you know, why do um, you say that? Um, because at the time, you know, we were. We, I think it was one of the. Uh, it might. It was like the movie musical thing was just. I think it was just kind of starting the. The idea of the juke, jukebox musical, you know, taking songs, pre-existing songs, and having them in a show. I mean, it was that was kind of early on, uh, and not not to say that other shows today aren't don't, aren't don't do it as well. But you know, I there was I mean, there was real craft in trying to make a real musical out of it. You know, as opposed to just putting up the movie or anything like that. I mean, they really tried to make it into something and, and make it exciting. And you know, and I know people who come who saw it who really you know enjoyed it and, and had a great time and and. Um, you know, I, it was definitely my first experience in in doing like a muse, a brand new musical, and the trials and tribulations of what goes on with that. And we went out of town with it. We did a lot of changes. Um, we had another director choreographer come in and mm. like oversee the whole thing, which was my first experience with that. And seeing like, oh, someone else is coming in to like direct and choreograph us, but yet the choreographer is over there. <laughs> <laughs> the oh. directors over there, <laughs> you know, that was strange. You know, we had a firing. We, we placed a cast member, and that was the first time I had to deal with that. So it was really kind of my introduction to like, oh, this is this is how this is a, a out of town Broadway tryout, and this is you know what happens. You know, hmm. you lose your job. You know, you, you bring in other doctors, and um, and we got to perform in the Richard Rogers, which is one of my favorite theaters to perform in, which was cool. Hmm. But also, I was performing with a lot of kids. You know, the kid. I think I was in my late twenties, and some of the kids in the show. Were, you know, I think one of my, my dance partner was like seventeen. I'm like, what? Oh my god! I mean, they were like literally kids. And I got the gypsy robe, you know, the, the, which goes to the person who has the most experience. And because no one else had any experience except me, so <laughs> that was exciting too to get the, the gypsy robes for that. At you know, at not yet even thirty, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. that's that is something. Yeah. Now, as I, I look at things, it looks like, uh, you know, 2001 
was a busyish year for you because it seems like um, you had both summer of forty two happening, and that's when urine town began to break through. Yeah. So let's talk first about urine town. Where I mean, urine town famously. I think started at the fringe and then nymph and then you know it kind of kept moving up where 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 did you join it on its journey um well they you, you know yet again there was a workshop that was done with a with another actor and this actor had a scheduling conflict it seems to be a theme with me scheduling it conf- doesn't matter how you get the part as long as you ultimately get it <laughs> that's true uh scheduling conflict and um they had auditions and uh I auditioned for it and basically was trying to find something to do because summer 42 was was supposed to happen in the fall and uh i just was like well i'll do an acting gig until summer 42 happens and at the time summer 42 was scheduled for broadway and so i auditioned for this show a friend of mine was a producer matt rigo who's one of the Iraqa group who was the producers and he called me and he said there's a show called you're in town i was like what i said it sounds awful and um my agent said, you, you shouldn't audition for this. This is never going to go anywhere. It's going to, you know, and he sent me the script and the CD. And I, you know, I read the script and I'm like, well, this could be bad. And I listened to the music and I was like, oh, but this music is really good. I like the music. The music kind of turned me around on it. And so I auditioned for it and um, got the part and, um, you know, had no expectations. We were doing it at this little bitty theater, American Theater of Actors over on 40, 54th Street for no money. Um, and we did a reading of it, and uh, you know, it was a good cast at the time. It was like Jeff McCarthy and Nancy Opal and uh, Jen Lar Thompson, and uh, and then we lost. I, I can't remember. His, I can't remember his name. He was playing Cladwell, and we lost him. And then they said they'd hired um, John Cullum, and I was like, John Cullum is doing this. <laughs> I, I mean, wow. I mean, that's yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, people would ask me what I'm doing, and I said I was doing You're in Town. And people would get this weird look on their face, and then I would say, "And John Cullum's doing it." And they would go, "Really?" Like they that suddenly, like <laughs> we could have simplified and just said, "I'm doing a show with John Cullum." <laughs> yes, which I started started doing, but you know, people just were like, it changed everyone's perspective of what the show was going to be, and uh, you know, and we had five weeks of um, of just kind of playing and figuring out what the show was. I mean, it was really five weeks of the best rehearsal process I've ever had, and. You know, we didn't know what we had, and and we did our first preview, and we all kind of like dipped our toe in the water, not sure exactly if the show was going to be funny or not, or it was going to be awful. I mean, literally, I've never done anything where I had no idea if the show was going to be the worst thing I've ever done or the best thing I've ever done. I had no idea. And after the first preview, and the audience kind of just went nuts over it, I was like, oh, okay. And then we started gaining confidence through the pre- previews as as the audience were getting more and more kind of on board with us and rambunctious and and then you know we got we opened and got this kind of great review in the New York Times and suddenly we were like the see, the thing to see in New York. I mean producers had opened and they were the thing on Broadway and we were off Broadway and just had lines down around the block just hmm. to get into this 160 seat theater to see the show. And you know, people were – stars were coming to see it, you know, Meg Ryan and, and uh, Lily Tomlin and, and uh, you know, we're, we're, li- we're standing in the hallway wait- and Sarah Jessica Parker and they were all just standing in the hallway waiting to see this tiny little show and we were just kind of like dumbstruck that it, something like this 
what happened. I mean, just you know, you know, you do Broadway shows sometimes, and there's such high expectations about what they are, and they're going to come in, and they and all these you know, Young Frankenstein, Susical, Trek, whatever. We do something like this when you have no expectations whatsoever, and the, you know, it's just, you're just so surprised that it happened, and 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 then they said. Uh, after our run was over, they were, they were going to make a decision where they were going to move to Broadway or off Broadway, and then they started talking about Broadway, and I'm like, "You guys are out of your mind!" And we got a theater, and the Dodgers came in as producers and and moved us to Broadway, and it was really just an unbelievable <laughs> turn of events that led us from literally not thinking the show was going to be, going to get trashed or people were going to boo us off the stage to all of a sudden opening on Broadway almost six months later. Hmm. Did the show change much over the time that you were at the American Theater of Actors or once once that one opened, the show was, was largely the show? The show was pretty much the show. I mean, there were small changes but not much. I mean, I think the biggest change from off-Broadway to Broadway was the curtain call dance. I mean, we did this huge curtain call dance that they just choreographed and which was a big hit once we did came to Broadway. We never had that off-Broadway. Hmm. But people still, even once it opened on Broadway, would hear urine down. Yeah. And that and it still still made the face sometimes. Yeah. So that was it's great challenge. In yeah, many yeah, ways. yeah. It was really really and and just to open it on Broadway was just was so exciting. And it was also I mean, and you know, we opened our opening night was supposed to be September 13th, uh, 2001, and um, September 11th happened, and we were scheduled to do a camera rehearsal for Rosie, the Rosie O'Donnell show, on the 11th, mm. and because we were still in previews, and uh, you know, the I remember that morning getting up, and I, my wife and I were living in New Jersey at the time, and you know, just September 11th happened that morning, and we were supposed to be at a camera rehearsal at one, and I was like. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to drive in the city and go to this camera rehearsal? And, you know, the world's coming to an end. <laughs> mm. And, you know, we were supposed to – and I didn't – no one knew what to do. We couldn't get him on the phone and, and, and it wasn't until I think later that night that I finally got in touch with my stage manager and I'm like, what is happening? And they're like, no shows – obviously tonight, no shows tomorrow. We're going to try to come back Thursday for opening opening night, but we're not going to have an opening night. We're just going to do the show and invite whoever can come. And uh, that's what we did. We didn't open on the on. I still have my poster stamped September thirteenth. This opening night poster they gave us hmm. that says opening night September thirteenth, two thousand one. And we actually opened a week later, September twentieth. Hmm. Anybody who was in a show at that time talks about coming back for those first few performances, both what it was as a performer and what it meant perhaps to the audience. And I'm just wondering what those first few performances of what was obviously an absurdist, irreverent, very funny show in the face of this terrible tragedy which no one in, could, in New York could possibly ignore. What what was it like going out and doing that show at that time? Um, probably the hardest thing – probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Uh, you know, it was it – because was, – as we all remember, I think you know you, you, we didn't know if this was going to be our last day because I didn't know if there, an atomic bomb was going to go off in the city or if a bomb you know we were going to get who know, we didn't know what was going to happen. Hmm. And you know Giuliani asked the shows. I remember, I remember seeing his press conference. He's like, "I want Broadway to continue," and you know we all kind of walked in, and Times Square was as silent as I have ever heard it in my life. And uh, you know I remember walking. Uh, you know, just walking to the theater and just seeing it was so eerily quiet, and these 
people were outside waiting to see the show, and they were just all pale and and just, you know, we had given away tickets for people that were in town and and family members, and you know, that first night back was an emotional experience for all of us. I think you know, we there were not a lot of laughs, hmm. but you know. We cried on stage, and the audience cried uh, and afterwards, and then we left this theater, and, and then we were hugging audience members, and they were crying. It was just – it was a – and they were, like, thanking us to, like, giving them an escape for the past two hours because they've been watching CNN and, you know, for the past two days. And um, they 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 really thanked us and, and were grateful that, that we had we did the show. I mean, we had some issues with our, our show because um, we, the things we had to change because there was um, – uh, stuff about throwing people off buildings, which we had to change. Um, but there was all, there's also these songs about hope. And um, there's one song called Look at the Sky, which was very emotional for all of us to sing mm-hmm. Look at the Sky because we had all been looking at the sky for the past uh, two days. Uh, and, and, you know, things just ra- – I always say the show pre-9-11 was one experience and the show post-9-11 was one, was one, one experience, especially with us because mm-hmm. um, our show was about a, a doomsday scenario, about the, the world and you know our, our show was about a, a world where there's a um, – could, that could be extinct at any moment if um, – because there's a water shortage and, and it became more real after post-9-11 and actually resonated more, I think. Hmm. Um, because of the apocalyptic nature of, of, of the subject matter in the show. Well, let's segue because in this we began this by also mentioning Summer of 42. Let's talk for a little bit about you as a writer. Was Summer of 42 the first thing you'd written or was it the first thing that, that started to have a life? Um, well, I'd, I'd always want—I wanted to be a writer before I wanted to be an actor. And I, well, the, you know, in high school they asked me what what do you want to be, and I, I'd always said I want to be a writer. I, I thought about being a journalist. I thought about uh, writing novels. I, I'd already I'd always written short stories and things like that, and poetry and stuff like that. Nothing that ever was ever published or, or came to fruition. Um, I wrote a play when I was in third grade, and, and um, that's the thing is I didn't know what really know what plays were or. But I wrote scripts because like, I'd seen movies, and and I and I, I wrote something in third grade. I think it was a Dracula, and and I, it was like four pages long, and I gave it out to everyone. We had rehearsals, and and so I'd always wanted to be a writer. And I was, I, I it was a time I had just come off. Um, I was I forget what I was doing. I was doing some show, and I was maybe it might have been Footloose. And I was I was thinking, God, I would love to just I would I, I was seeing some shows that I was just like, God, I I, I was di- disappointed in a lot of shows that were opening on during that season, and I was like, God, I, I just wish I want to create. I, I just inside me, I wanted to create a musical, or I wanted to or, to, or create a, a a story or something. And uh, a friend of mine, David Kirschbaum, who I went to college with, he was he was looking for something to write, and I and I'd always loved the movie Summer Forty Two um, as a kid. And because it's a wonderful coming of age story, and I thought, why? You know what? I've I've never really written something full length before. Why not? Let's let's go for it. So I got the rights. I went. I actually called the studio on my own and and called the writer and got the rights to it. And and you know, back then it was still this whole transferring movies to musicals was still kind of relatively new. I mean, it wasn't. 
um, like it is now, where everything is every, mm-hmm. every movie is a musical. And it wasn't that you were taking a recent smash hit; you were taking what? Uh, yeah. Once it, it, summer of forty two came out in seventy one, seventy two. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it, right. It was not you know a popular title. Right. That exactly. You were grabbing. And so you know, it was something that I was like, what, what the hell? You know, I've got it. Let's and, and I kind of applied all of my knowledge from school and from experience, and um, we sat down and crafted the show and. And it wasn't great at first, but uh, you know we did a f- few readings in New York, and it, like again, this was back when. <laughs> I mean, we did two readings where Alice Ripley was played the lead woman, and we just I, I didn't know her, and I just went up to her one day at sideshow and handed her a script and said, "Will you do my reading?" She's like, "Sure," and uh, that was back when. I mean, now everything's a reading. It, you know, there's readings for everything now. Back then, you know, there weren't people weren't doing readings like that. And we didn't pay anybody. We just had a reading. <laughs> I mean, literally, no, paid no one. Mm-hmm. And now, you obviously, you have to pay everyone. And uh, and it kind of, you know, and we went back to Michigan. Head of my program um, took the show, and we worked on it. Did a workshop there for two weeks, and we worked with the, the um, with the um, actors there. Uh, Dan Reichard played the lead. Uh, he was at, he was just a student in Michigan, and we went huh. back, and he played the lead in our show. Um, and then um, Goodspeed, we did it for the NAMPT, and then Goodspeed saw it and picked it up, and we did a production at Goodspeed. At Chester, yep. in the smaller well, theater. Yep, and Celia Keenan-Bolger was, that was the first thing she did. She she did uh, our show with Adina Menzel, and, um, which went really well there. And then we got uh, a producer who wanted to bring it to New York, and originally I think the plan was for Broadway. Right. And um, – and then we decided to go off Broadway because we thought we could do more of the Urinetown way, the, the something small. Um, and you know, it was interesting because it was kind of happening at the same time as Urinetown. And uh, literally, I had X number of shows off to kind of go down and see the show while I was doing Urinetown. So I would literally like do the show one night, and then I would go down and watch the show because we did off Broadway did the Variety Arts, which was no longer no longer here, but I think it was on. Uh, South of Union Square. Yeah, it was uh, Second Avenue at about Twelfth Street. It's a yeah. movie theater now. Yeah, yeah. So I, it was I was running back and forth between doing Urinetown and and the show, hmm. and we, you know, we, we opened it to not great reviews, but you know, it, it ran a healthy six weeks, and uh, it's been done I think forty forty five times around the country. Wow. We have a double, you know, two to CD and. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I mean, I think that if we if we did it again, it was a very hard time to do a show because we were trying to capitalizing on the. Um, we opened in December after 9/11. We were trying to capitalize on this whole Americana thing because Super Summer 42 was about this woman who lost her husband fighting the uh, you know who went off to war. The problem was is that by December, after we'd gone through 9/11, is that people were Americanaed out. Mm. And they were sick and tired of hear, you know, seeing stories about widows and the war. Mm. And it, no, I'm not saying that's the total problem. Sure, but it, but that was a big problem with yeah. us. And and is that people were, were just were not relating to it the same way they had at good speed. We did yeah. it at good speed pre 9/11. Well, as you said, Urinetown took on a different meaning, and, and so did Summer, Summer 42. 42. So tell me about. Some of these other pieces you've written, you mentioned Sleepy Hollow. I mentioned this Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. Um, what what else have you, are you working on? Well, I mean, 
you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I keep thinking, well, I haven't, you know, I don't have a body of work. And all of a sudden I'm, I put a bio together. I'm like, wait a minute. I have a body of work. <laughs> like it's you like, do indeed. I, I, yeah. It's like, I've, so yeah, I, it's, um, it, and I keep, even though, uh, Bonnie Clyde hasn't been produced in, in New York yet. And the hollow is just beginning. We just did a, like a workshop this summer and hope to do it, um, at signature next year. Um, I'm always thinking about what the next thing is. And, you know, there's a – I'm trying to do a full-length play now based on um, uh, a personal experience <laughs> with uh, plagiarism in, in the theater, uh, not having to do with me but uh, someone I know. And uh, and also um, working on optioning another movie. Hmm. And we're in the process of optioning. So there's two new projects, the, the play and then optioning a new movie for a mu- to make turn to a musical. The inevitable question, you're writing these pieces. Are you writing parts for yourself? Well, you know, I never – I always – I don't want to feel like – I guess I don't want to be um, – Oh, I, people always ask me that. It, why don't you write for yourself? Sorry to ask it again. <laughs> and and I always feel like God. I, do I do I want to be in something that I wrote? Is that look too arrogant or I don't know? Does that how does that come across? Hmm. And I, and it kind of because people are like, why don't you play Clyde and Bonnie and Clyde? I'm like, well, I don't know. It, it's weird to be in my own show. Um, but I think if I if I I think I'm over that now because this new thing that I am talking to my agent about. Uh, Optioning would I would play, but I, I'm doing it specifically because I want to play the lead part. Hmm. So it's the first time I've done that, and I don't quite know how that plays. Um, it's not done a lot. I mean, I guess Harvey Firestein was in his own show that he wrote the book for, um, Little Torch Song trilogy. Right, of course, yeah. And but the musical he just did, um, uh, Catered Affair, Catered Affair, and and no one said anything about that. And I'm like, well, maybe it's not a maybe it's not a big deal. So. Now, we've talked a lot about musicals, and in the time that we have left, I certainly want to mention that you are not solely a musical performer, and you did Mr. Roberts down at the Kennedy Center, um, and you've done the play Dust off-Broadway and Lend Me a Tenor up at the Cape Playhouse, and most interesting to me, the government inspector at the Guthrie. Mm -hmm. Now, the Guthrie has a resident company. here you you've done some plays. How did you end up at the Guthrie doing the government inspector? It's so funny. I just got the published script of the government inspector today, and my picture like there's a picture of me in it, and it's like I'm like it's like oh my god, there's, the published script has a picture of me at you know at the for, at work you know as a, doing a play at the Guthrie, and and I'm like wow, and it kind of hit me today. It, it, you know, you're asking me that question. I, you know, I I had worked Joe Dowling was the artistic director. I had worked at the Guthrie doing Martin Gare there. Many, many, many years before, and uh, you know, I always say because I saved Joe Joe's ass. We were doing Martin Gare, and I was the understudy for Martin Gare, Hugh Panero, and this third show, Hugh got sick, and they called me to go on. I said, "Well, I've never had a rehearsal. I've never had any sort of staging, and there's a sword fight." <laughs> 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 and Joe Joe Dowling's like, uh, "Well, you're going to have to do it," and so I did it. Cheating, you know, holding little pieces of script, whatever, and did a whole show and, and basically just ducked, ducked out of the way during the sword fight. And I told Joe Dowling, this was 10, 10 12 years ago, I said, you owe me. 
So maybe he just be- was paying me back. Huh. No, I have. I mean, no. I I had worked with Jeffrey Hatcher, who was the writer, who was the adapter of of uh, Nikolai Gogol's uh, Government Inspector, and and um, had worked at the Guthrie before, and and um, they thought it was uh, a part that I could play, and and it was. It was a it was a great experience working with a you know resident theater company and I'm not sure if they were totally happy that you know someone from out of town came to play that part but you know it was one of the best experiences I've ever had um, just learning uh, you know and 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 a challenge to to uh, perform in that space because it's a you know it's a legendary space there's no microphones it's it's a huge space and. Um, and doing a play like that, which is an absurd play, but it was it was uh, it was challenging and fun, and, and um, I'm proud that I w- I was able to do it. We started talking about the intimacy of the space in which you're now doing ordinary days for Roundabout. I also want to ask you about doing a show like Kiss of the Spider Woman in a space as intimate as the Signature Theater in Virginia. Mm-hmm. What what was it like to take a show which had been a big Broadway show and do it in I think they're about a 250, 260-seat theater. Um, I think a show like that, which is so p- powerful. Um, you know, I saw the original production, which I liked very much, but it was it was Vegas. I mean, it was a big, you know, there was these huge show-stopping numbers with, featuring Cheetah. And, you know, what Eric tried to do, Eric Schaefer, the artistic director and director of Kiss the Spider-Woman, is, is kind of strip it down and just kind of make it about these two men. And, um, you know, it's a very powerful story. And a very emotional story, and um, you know the the audience to have that that intimacy with with these the relationship between these two men, um, I think was it was a powerful thing for us and a powerful thing for the audience. That I and, and I there's some of the producers who had, who had produced Spider Woman and John Kander and um, Terrence McNally and, and all those and and they even they were so surprised by how you know I think John Kander had said how emotional the, the show was and he, and as opposed to the original production being just a little colder and mm. that this show had so much more warmth and heart and and anything and I think a lot of it had to do with just the intimacy you know to, to really feel you know it's a love story and to kind of experience that uh, up close um, you know it, it and like I said, you know, doing ordinary days, doing doing in those little intimate spaces. I mean, the audience plays a part when they're right there. They really, they they feed you, you know, because you can feel when they're moved, and you can feel it when they're laughing, you can feel it when they're crying, and and that that fuels you as an actor, as you know, feel. And you worked, you know, I always feel like a relationship between an audience and an, and an actor is is, um, you know, you you work together sometimes because you you feel what you, they feel what you're feeling, and you feel what they're feeling as well. Hmm. Coming back to Ordinary Days, and I have to say that I regret I've I've passed over some of the shows that I would have loved to have talked to you about today. But but you made a comment about Ordinary Days, which is, of course, that it is unamplified. And presumably it's one of the rare opportunities one has now to perform in and for an audience to hear a musical done with the unamplified voice. Do you think that has an impact on – the connection to the audience and does it impact you as a performer to know that it is all your own power behind what you're doing? Yeah, I do. I think, you know, me, I, 
I, I, if I'm seeing a show, I don't care. I doesn't, I don't, if I hear someone unamplified or hear someone amplified, I'm, I'm not someone who, I'm like, I need to hear the unamplified voice. I'm, I'm used to it. As long as mics don't go out, that drives me crazy when someone's, you know, mics buzzing. But, you know, the experience of a lot of, what a lot of people have said is that they believe the experience is better hearing a live voice. And um, for us, you know, we have to, I feel like, when you when you have a mic, sometimes you're tired. You know, you're doing eight shows a week. You kind of can let sometimes let the mic do the work for you. In a space like this, doing this show unamplified, you have to work hard, a little bit harder, and um, I mean that's okay. Hmm. You know, and and it's a challenge. And uh, I think you know, with every experience, there's there's a challenge to everything you do. And I think this is just another challenge for us. And um, the, my only complaint is that. You know, in a space, you know, uh, 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 the mic can cover up a lot of sins in the voice. Like if the voice is, you know, for out a little bit too late last night. You know, you can hear the, the little cracks in the in the in the voice. The mic can take care of it for you. In a space, you know, when you're doing it unamplified, they hear they hear everything. They hear every everything that's in the back of your throat. If you're tired, they hear they're going to hear that you're tired. Uh, there's no, you're pretty much bare. You know, your voice is just bare. You know, they're, they're going to hear everything. And that's kind of exciting too, I mean, for an audience to hear the raw voice. Well, with your raw voice in ordinary days at the roundabout and in the future, shows to see you in, shows by you and maybe shows by you with you. Hunter Foster, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. Our engineer for this Downstage Center program is Chad Bernhard. Our researcher is Craig Thompson. Our director of web development is Rob Perry. And our producer is Gail Yankosik. Downstage Center is recorded in the CUNY TV radio studio at the City University of New York's Graduate School of Journalism in Manhattan. Along with this program, all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free from AmericanTheaterWing.org. You can follow ATW on Twitter at The Wing and follow me as well on Twitter as H.E. Sherman. You can also declare yourself as one of ATW's fans on Facebook at The American Theatre Wing. If you're a regular listener to or viewer of Wing programs, we hope you'll consider giving us financial support to sustain our work. Just visit our website and click on Support ATW. For Downstage Center in the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman. Thanks for listening, and no matter where you live, I hope we'll see you at the theater.